let's begin in 1 John chapter 3. The Apostle John writes there and he says, beginning in verse 4, he says, Whosoever commits sin transgresses also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. Verse 5, And you know that he, that is Jesus Christ, was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. So the Apostle John is tremendous in this way. He'll throw out a warning, but then he'll encourage you. <laughs> okay? He will say, this is what, you know, first of all, he says, those that commit sin are transgressing the law. And remember again, that this transgression isn't a normal transgression. And we're going to talk about that some more today uh, and then move on from that. But the thing is, you need to understand, this isn't talking about what I call, like, you know, general sins. These are very, very bad sins. These are sins against God himself. These are sins of rebellion. Because this thing goes back to, see, the, the actual... Oh, here we go. Where are we going? Okay, forget verse 10. All right? We'll, we'll start here. <laughs> All right. You know, where it goes. <laughs> in First in John 3, 4, the, when it says that he, whoever commits sin transgresses also the law, it actually talks, the original Greek says commits lawlessness. That word is really important because th- that word lawlessness is found elsewhere in the Bible when it talks about the, the man of sin that cr- transgresses the law and he's, a man of, uh, he's, a, he's an individual of lawlessness as well. So we begin to understand, and I read some of these scriptures to you before, we begin to understand that this isn't talking about, oops, you know, I, I messed up and I drank too much or I smoked or whatever. This isn't that sort of stuff. This is the stuff that comes against God that says there is no God. We don't need a God in this universe. You know what I'm trying to say? They could be very moral people. Listen to me. You know, while we look down our nose at people that kind of mess up in their life, we tend to praise these people and say, wow, look at that person. He's such an academic and everything else. Those are the people that this is talking about. Are you all with me now? That's why the Apostle John says, don't get you know, deceived by them. He says, be, you know, do not be led astray by them. If I can continue reading, that's what he's going to say. But he's, because the only way you can be led astray is if you allow yourself to be led astray. If you think what you're hearing is right. Because after all, they've got all those letters after their name. Have you ever thought about how many letters Jesus Christ would have after his name? No, no, see, <laughs> I think about this for a minute. He created all things. All things were made by him and for him. And that includes all the laws that the universe is governed by. All the laws that you have to go to school and you have to learn, and then go to uni and learn some more, and then go to further education and learn some more. All that stuff, he made it. And the way he made it is what you learn. And the incredible thing is the people that, you know, say, oh, we're intellectuals. Uh, You're nowhere close to what Jesus is still. All you did was discover, and some of it is still wrong. You guys still haven't got it right. You've discovered what he put into place. And instead of giving him thanks, you praise the universe and, you know, oh, praise to, be uni- you know, to the universe who, who did all these things. Why do you do that? Why do you praise the universe? It's not going to do anything for you. The guy that made it will. 
<laughs> Amen? Are you all with me? I just want to bring something to your attention because that's what we're talking about. Are you with me? So, you know, if you're thinking, oh, I done messed up. I'm of the devil because that's what the verse 8 goes on to say. No, no, you're not. We're not talking about you in that way. <laughs> okay? You can mess up as many times as you want. This is why 1 John 1, 9 doesn't contradict what John is saying here. If we acknowledge or confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness, thereby restoring us back to a place of perfect righteousness. And it's not talking about this, that you're of the devil. Are you with me? Let's move on. Let me read your code and then continue on from there, because I really want to race through this. I've said here, that's where a truly saved Christian and where the spiritual or carnal is nothing like these antichrists and false teachers that the Apostle John is uh, talking about. And why John McCarthy in his commentary makes the point that although genuine Christians do have a sin disposition, thank God, okay, we all know, all right, we mess up, okay, and do commit and need to confess sin, that is not the unbroken pattern of their lives. Did you understand that, okay? A genuinely born-again believer, I love this, has a built-in check or guard against habitual sinning due to a new nature that is being born of God residing in them. See, as much as you sin, okay, like I said, normal sins, okay, general sins, you never get to the place where, and I hope you don't, and be careful that you don't, get to the place where you start to question, well, is there a God? Are you all with me? You know, Anything else is okay, but when you get to that place, now you're beginning a journey that is very dangerous because the same way you get in is the, is the way that you can get out, you know, but it's very difficult, okay, because this new nature, this born-again experience is a massive thing. A huge price was paid. Listen to me. All those people that tell you every two seconds when you sin, you lose your salvation is wrong. They don't understand the power of the new birth. And they don't, under, they don't understand the price of the new birth. Isn't it funny how they, you know, it amazes me how Christians can compartmentalize their, compartmentalize their brain. I got that word out, okay. You know, on one side, oh, you know, Jesus suffered so much. On the other side, if you sin and you, you spit on the sidewalk, you're gone, you're dead. You, you know, you lost your salvation. Really? All that and that's all it takes? Give me a break. You're messed up in your brain, man. All right. <laughs> but you, listen to me. If what, and Jesus, what Jesus did was tremendous. It was a horrific price that was paid. Understand that it's going to take a great deal once you're in to get out. Not just a bad couple of weeks, months, or even years. It takes an absolute willful decision to say, I don't want you. Because the same way you get in, that is, when you confess Jesus Christ as Lord and receive him, okay, if you know everything and with a cold-heartedness and not because you're hurt or anything, you say, I don't want you anymore because I like this sin too much to want you and you're getting in my way. I told you, the most miserable people on the planet are sinning Christians, okay? Because of this, because there's a conviction there. Some, very few. Okay, I can count on my hand, so don't think it's you. Okay, very few of the billions have gotten out that way. Just absolutely not wanted that anymore. Are you all here? So please don't ever sweat over things like this. Okay, 
<clears throat> so I've said here, but this is certainly not the case with antagonists. And why Colin G. Cruz writes, the connection between sin and the devil is made three times in this passage, both by explicit reference to the devil. And also by, listen, equating the Greek word for sin, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to pronounce it, and the Greek word for lawlessness, okay? By equating them, the author of 1 John says that sin is lawlessness. And when he says that, he doesn't mean that sin is the violation of the law, okay, Mosaic law, but rather that sin constitutes, listen, opposition to and rebellion against God, like the opposition and the rebellion of Satan. There we go. Okay, do you get that now? So this is what it's talking about here, and you need to understand how dangerous that is, how socially acceptable it is, and how dangerous it is. How the, the, all the schools teach you that. Listen, when they're teaching evolution, that's what they're teaching. Do you now begin to understand what we're talking about here? We are talking about things that have crept into society that even, you know, the, the federal courts are saying, oh yeah, that's proof when there isn't any. And people are writing and saying, we must never forget. No matter how amazing you know, you know, we find that things out in nature are that they, it all came by accident. Seriously. The intellects are saying that kind of dumb stuff. Are you all with me? In other words, listen, if they apply that kind of thinking, if, you know, let's say we sent a, you know, just a brilliant timepiece back before they made them. And somebody found it and picked it up. It evolved. Listen, everybody else would say, oh man, this couldn't evolve. I'm sure somebody made this. Oh, no, no, brother. We don't believe in that stuff. It evolved. Oh, praise be to the timepiece that evolved. That's how stupid this is. When you find something and you see a mechanical nature to it, and it's really interesting how biology is starting to show mechanical features in its creation. It's amazing. And people are still insisting, oh, that was just an accident of nature. Even though, you know, even for a watch to work, all the bits have to, do you all know, it all has to be put together at once. You can't have one little dial going in there and another one evolved and then came and joined it. Right in the right place, by the way, knew where to go. And then another one evolved and came and joined it. And, and after that, the little hand said, oh, let me jump on there. I can show you the hours. Little, another hand said, oh, I can jump on there and show you the minutes. And another hand said, I'm in too much of a hurry. I'll do the seconds. <laughs> you know? And so the watch evolved. That's the kind of dumb logic that they're applying and what this is talking about. Are you now getting this? Don't allow things to come and erode your faith in the name of science or maths or biology. You know what is really sad? And I was saying this to the kids. You know... Biology should be the one science that should be proving that there is a God. Instead, instead, it is the one science that goes in the exact opposite direction. Physics and chemistry are actually proving there is a God. But biology is that one thing that should directly prove he's there. See, because there are things in, I don't want to get into lessons right now, but there are things in physics and chemistry that there are laws that tell us that evolution is, can't work. Laws. 
Do you understand laws? I throw it up, it will come down. That's a law. Okay? Those kind of laws. And people are turning their back on it. Biology turns its back on all of those laws and says, no, 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 we evolved. Do you hear what I'm saying? Can you see how dangerous that is now? And all your kids learn that. And then they think the Bible is a fable. And they think it's all story. And it's, there is no such thing as a God. And they put God and Jesus with Santa Claus. Now the guy might have lived, but we don't know. <laughs> okay, all right? Let's, uh, and the Easter bunny. There we go, that one. Okay? <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say? Uh, all the things that are fables out there. And so when it comes to a, a, you know, a problem in your life, and the Bible says, by his stripes you're healed, oh, that's just a fable. Are you all with me? That's what I mean by it begins to erode everything in your life. That's why the Apostle John is saying, be careful. Don't let these things come in and begin to erode your faith. Because there is a more powerful uh, law at work on the inside of you. It is the law of life. It's a resurrection life. And it gives you not only life to your body, but to your thinking as well. It helps you to walk in the wisdom of God himself. Amen. And so many other things which I I don't have time for. Anyway, let's get back to this. (laughs) It is these very people that Jesus addresses in Matthew chapter 7 verse 23. When he says that, and I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. Listen, you who practice lawlessness. That is exactly what we read in 1 John 3, 4. And that's the literal translation. That's the reason why it was important that the literal translation be brought out there. Because the word lawlessness doesn't appear in our normal translation. But that's what the Greek says. And when you then tie that into this, you begin to understand that all of these people said, Oh no, we, we, we acknowledge you in our own way. And Jesus says, you know when Jesus says, I never knew you? Do you know what that tells us? Do you know that... Jesus knows how many hairs are on your head. With me, he doesn't have to count so many anymore. But, you know, I just say, but you know, you know, he knows you that well. And don't we just love those things that tell us that he just knows everything about us? And then we freak out when we read this. Because somebody gets up there and says, you could be doing all these things, you know, for the Lord. And still you might get, you might get to heaven. And, see, and Jesus says... You know, I never knew you. In other words, who are you? And you go, but Lord, it's me. You know, the, the person that wake up every morning and, and worship. I don't know. Is he on the list? I don't is it? He looks a little weird to me anyway. I don't know. Those shifty eyes. The balding in the back. I don't know. If that, <laughs> you, know you know what I'm trying to say? That will never happen. When you get there, he knows more about you than you knew about yourself. In fact, that's the reason why he says, come to me. Do you know why? Because he wants to reveal to you how he created you. And what you think was meant to be an ordinary life was meant to be an extraordinary life. Because God doesn't create anything second best. And so while we think, oh, this is the best we can do. God looks at it and says, wow, that is so far below what I created you for. Who set that bar anyway? Are you with me? That's why you need to go check with God the bar he set for you. And let me tell you, every single time, you will be surprised. Do you know why I can know that? You, you might say, well, you don't know how, much, you know how far up I've got. Listen, 
the further up you go, the more becomes available. See, God has no limits. You put them on yourself. As much as you think you can do, God says, oh, no, no, no. My spirit in you, my ability in you can do far more than that. Let me supercharge it for you and show you. <laughs> you know, there are sometimes he'll just give you a glimpse of something. You suddenly are able to do something and it's kind of like a whirlwind and you go, wow, what just happened there? And you know what we blame it off onto? Grace. We say, well, that was God's grace. Now I'll return back to normal and be normal again. Why ever be normal? Normal is our enemy. Do you hear me? Normal is what the world sets. That's the standard the world sets. You are more than conquerors. You are overcomers. You know what that means? See, you can, you, there are conquerors out there, but he didn't say you were a conqueror. He said you were more than conquerors. So no matter what they can do, we can do better. Anything they can do, I, <laughs> okay? <laughs> I can do better than you, okay? You know? <laughs> Listen, man, that's what God wants to do on the inside of you. Just keep pushing and pushing and pushing so that you are in a place where you can do extraordinary things. And be humble about it because it's God. Lest anyone should boast. <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say? That's the danger of the people that are out there that are excelling in the world with, you know, of their own um, what, volition or, you know, abilities, okay? And can I just say this a little hint? All the ability you have came from God, by the way. So what you're so proud of and what you think, you know, were passed down by genes and everything else. All that is God inside of your parents and your parents' parents. And wherever you got it from, it originated in God. So what you're so proud of and what you just think, well, I don't need God because I've got all of this, came from God. The one that you don't need, he's the one that gave you all that to start with. Amen. You could have been born a blob. Okay, but he did you a favor. How do you repay him? I will use my intellect to prove there is no God. Wow, really? Really? Why don't you do the opposite? <laughs> and there are so many today. I mean, in the millions that are now serving God with what God gave them. They acknowledge it and now they're making breakthroughs that are incredible because of it. It's a funny thing when you acknowledge the person, you know, that gave you the gift, how much more he's willing to give. Learn the lesson. Okay. Wow, we're not getting very far. All right, let's move on. I pray that this is helping you. Okay, you're here to be helped. Amen? Okay. <laughs> so, notice that the phrase, you who practice lawlessness, I said this before, is almost identical to what the Apostle John said again in 1 John 3, 4, whoever commits sin, that is the sin of denying Jesus is the Christ, also commits or practices lawlessness. In fact, these particular individuals are so evil and sinful. I want you to see what their end is. Is that okay? That Jesus actually says in Matthew chapter, this is not you, okay? Jesus says in Matthew chapter 13, verses 41 and 42. Because sometimes we stand there and say, God, when, what, what are you going to do about this? Have you ever asked that question? Here's the answer. Glad you came. Okay, <laughs> Matthew 13, verse 41. The Son of Man will send out His angels. And they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness. Do you see that? Verse 42. And will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. 
that is their end. They will not go unpunished. They may go... (laughs) They may think that they evaded that punishment down here in this earth. They may be living in wealth because of all the things that they're spreading. Because, you know, it, it benefits financially to say what everybody else is saying. And people that don't want God will buy all those books. They will pay money to be deceived. Interesting, isn't it? And this is their end. They may get away with it down here, but not up there. What a sad and horrible end for these people. Amen? And not just antagonistic believers, but certain religious people. This is what's so sad as well. With Jesus saying in Matthew chapter 23, verses 27 and 28, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, verse 28, uh, Matthew 23, 28, Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men. Notice, it says, appear righteous to who? Men. So these people, I told you, they're upstanding in the community. Do you hear me? That's why it's so dangerous. But inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. I want you to notice something. This sin isn't just restricted to the world. It is also to those that want to make a buck in the kingdom. Can I put it that way? You all know what I'm saying, right? And we need to be careful. You know, God just adjusted my, my direction just, just a couple of days ago and just reminded me that he is my provider. And Because I was starting to move in a certain direction and I thought, okay, God, there's there and then there's this over here. He said, no, 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 they're all the same. <laughs> okay? And because of that, we made a, uh, just a, a very um, significant decision to go in another direction. That is where we began. And we're moving forward in that now. Hallelujah. And I, it was really liberating as well. But, you know, what I'm saying to you is, be careful. These things sneak in. You know, this is me praying and everything, and it snuck in. I hadn't got there yet. <laughs> okay? I hadn't done anything with it. Praise God. See, seek, and you shall find. Amen? I was asking God. I, I was seeking him, and well, he talked to me. All right. Also, I didn't try to argue my way out of it. Just saying. All right. <laughs> this is why there are so many scriptures in the Bible that warn us to keep, keep away from people like this. I want to share with you a scripture that has been misused, okay? And why the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 and 15, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. You know, people have used that to say, oh, don't marry a person that's not a Christian. Now, generally, I agree. But you don't know what all gems are out there that could be better Christians than the ones that are already in. Just saying, all they might need is, you know, people aren't stupid, okay? <laughs> you know, if they see the truth, they recognize it, they'll go, this, is, this, this sits with me. All the other stuff didn't sit with me. Your religion didn't sit with me, but this sits with me. Give them the opportunity of that. Amen? And understand something, that the unbelievers that are being spoken of here are the ones that are in direct opposition 
the men of lawlessness. Do you understand? Those that are following Satan himself. Now don't look at your unsafe husband and go, you're following the devil. Don't do that, man. Okay, I am not talking about that. You missed my whole point. <laughs> okay, <laughs> These are people that are against God to such a degree that they are influencing other people that we don't need God. You know what I'm trying to say? That kind of a thing. So we're not even talking about false religion here. We are talking about people that are anti-religion. And in being anti-religion, they are the most religious because they are fighting for the devil. And then they don't even realize it. Interesting, isn't it? So, when he says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, now you understand, okay? And he says, listen, I'll prove it to you. He says, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? Did you see that now? What communion has light with darkness? Not a bit of sin? Not a bit of, I'm not sure yet? No, we're not talking, that's not darkness. That's a bit of gray, okay? (laughs) All right? And he says, watch this, verse 15. This is the one that really brings it out. What accord has Christ with Belial, which is the devil? Do you see that? And then he concludes by saying, what part has a, a believer with an unbeliever? So he said all of that to let you know the seriousness of what he is talking about and the kind of people he was talking about. We read past that so quickly. We see the words unbeliever and we don't read anything in between. And then we have this issue about anybody marrying anybody that's an unbeliever. Are you all here? Listen, the unequal yoke is talking about someone that is pulling you in the opposite direction to where you want to go. That's why later on the Apostle Paul says, you know, if your unbelieving partner allows you to go to church and stuff, stay married to them and stay with them. It's okay. See, that never makes sense if he says this and then he contradicts himself, which is why so many people say the Bible constantly contradicts itself. No, you're just stupid. You don't know what it's actually saying. I'll just be honest with you. That's all it is, man. You think you know something? You have no idea. You're trying to read a live book with a dead brain. (laughs) I'm telling you, that's what it is. So there's no way you're ever going to understand what's actually in here and be able to pick it out. Amen? Amen. I've said you, what's incredible is that if you were to combine Matthew 22 and 2 Corinthians 6, you realize that you you can just be as unequally yoked with a religious Christian as you are with an unbeliever. Sometimes even worse. Do you know why it's worse sometimes to to be unequally yoked with a religious Christian? Because what they say sounds right. It's from the Bible, except it's all wrongly divided. And so you are in knots all over the place, you know, because you believe in a verse and they'll give you something that opposes that verse that is out of context, but you don't know that. And they say, no, see, what you're believing is wrong. This is what it really says. So you can't have whatever you think you can have. See how much more dangerous that is? At least one way you know black and white. This one, you don't know what it is kind of, you know, slithers in the grass and hits you when you can't see, you know. Do you know what I'm trying to say? It's like a snake in the grass, man. That's why be, be careful when you see things like this, that you begin to understand and identify these things so that you can grow in God and have nothing get in the way, With this again comes back to what the Apostle John is saying. Do you now understand why he had such a, such a powerful life? Because he didn't allow things like this to come and attack him. Whether they were not religious or whether they were very religious. 
hear me. He knew to tell what was God and what was not. He loved everyone. And if you were a person that was unsaved, he would love you into the kingdom. He wouldn't say, oh, you're of the devil. <laughs> okay? He would never say that he's an apostle of love. The whole point of it is to get you in. So when you know that, and then you begin to realize, he's the one that said, for God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, the world, not good people, the whole world, all the rotten stink, <laughs> everything in it, all right? The good and the bad and the ugly. You all saw that one? Clint Eastwood. Ah, oh, Clint Eastwood. Yes, okay. So, okay. <laughs> you know, that, I mean, everything. He so loved the whole world in all their ugliness that he gave his only begotten son. Do you understand? That kind of, that's what the Apostle John wrote. He understood the love of God. He understood that everybody out there deserved to come in. So whenever he gets on somebody's case, whenever he begins to deal with things like this, and he starts talking about people that are sinning and doing stuff, he's not talking about them. Amen? And so he's warning you to stay away from not those people, but the people now that he is talking about that come in a form of religion and just draw you away. Amen. All right, so returning to 1 John 3, 4, if we were to add what we now know to it from all of our studies, it would read something like this. Whoever commits the sin of denying that Jesus is the Christ transgressing also the law, or literally commits lawlessness, for this sin is the transgression of the law. Are you beginning to see this now? Verse 5. Amen. <laughs> Let's go to verse 5. And you know, see, and here is the hope. He says, and you know that he, Jesus Christ, was manifested to take away our sin. Now, this has a twofold application. It's beautiful, isn't it? He's saying, listen, in case somebody tricked you, in case you got drawn away, in case you said some things that you thought, oh God, why did I ever say that? Why did I ever believe them? They were so nice, but why not? Okay. Listen, straight away in the next verse, he says, you all understand Jesus Christ came to take away sin. Means that whatever you committed, there is always salvation. Amen. There's always, for you, it's not salvation, it's restoration. You're still a child of God. Amen. All right. Now, first, let's talk about this twofold application. I got five minutes. I'm going to use it. Is that okay? Because <laughs> I want to get to some stuff, man. All right. <laughs> first, the Apostle John, being the Apostle of love, offers hope to all those who may have been led astray by these false teachers and have discovered that, uh, that they were wrong and says to them, no matter how serious their sins, plural, Jesus Christ came to take them all away. See, sometimes we think, oh yeah, he'll forgive me for this, but definitely not that. No, no, no. All of it. Amen? Colin G. Cruz writes this. He says, to take away sins here is to be understood as making forgiveness available by Christ offering himself as the atoning sacrifice for those sins. The reason I want to read that out to you is this. If ever you think your sin is so big that God's not going to forgive you, you ask yourself one question. Not what you deserve. You all with me? Stay with me now. Not what you deserve, but what Christ did. Is God going to look at your sin, then look at what Jesus did on the cross? You all saw the crucifixion and, you know, Mel Gibson and, you know, I mean, it was horrific, okay? Is God going to look at all of that and say, 
nah, 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 your sin's worse. That's never going to happen. I want to set you free right now. He, whatever you've done, the only thing that stops him from forgiving you and restoring you is you don't confess it. Well, brother, in today's society, don't tell me about it. Actually, let me tell you. <laughs> okay? you know, people have this attitude of don't ever apologize for anything. If you don't confess your sin, he can't be faithful and just to forgive you of anything. Yeah, it rhymes. <laughs> okay? Do you get what I'm saying here? Now, you don't have, I'm not telling you to go kind of confess to everybody around you. Oh, in my office. Oh, I sinned. I sinned. Please don't do that. You're weird. They'll kick you out. Listen, okay? I'm not talking about stuff like that. And whatever you do, do it in the a, in a proper way. If you've done something wrong, you know, it's funny how sometimes all people need from you. All they need from you is to just say sorry. And it'll be okay. We understand we all have bad days. Bad weeks and sometimes bad months. <laughs> okay? Whatever the case is, if they know you're sorry. See, this is what the Bible talks about. If a sinning brother comes and confesses their sin, he, the Bible says you forgive them straight away. Do you know when it says to take other people along with you? When they refuse to, when they refuse to acknowledge their sin. And the reason you take other people with you is to make sure that you're not on the wrong side of the fence. So they can listen to what happened and say, dude, you made a mistake here. Oh no, but they need to apologize. No, you need to apologize to them. Then they can apologize to you. (laughs) Are you all with me? That's why it says impartial witnesses. You don't take your best friends along. Hello. (laughs) Okay. Are you with me? But you see, the thing is when the Bible always says, if they ever confess it, if ever they acknowledge it, you have to forgive them. Regardless of what it is, you need to forgive them. You have to because... If you don't, then God will hold all your sins against you now. Why should he forgive you if you don't forgive them? Yeah, but you don't know what they did to me. Yeah, you don't know what you did to God. (laughs) Okay? Hello. So he's saying, listen, man, you want this. Whatever you sow, you reap. You want me to forgive you, you forgive others. If you don't forgive others, let me say this to you. There will come a time that sows a seed in your heart that starts to begin that begins to do something very interesting. It begins to sow this seed of they don't deserve to be forgiven, and it will get to the place where one day I will guarantee you this. Do you all understand? I'm promising you this that you get to the place. You see, whatever so whatever you sow, you reap. You'll get to the place where you, you'll do something and then you will refuse to forgive yourself of it. Because you're used to harboring unforgiveness. And it works both out and inward. Did you get what I said? So if you forgive others, understand something, you'll begin to forgive yourself as well. And then you can enter into God's forgiveness for you. Be restored. And start from a perfect place once again. Amen? I have run out of time, so we're going to stop there for today. Pick this up next week. I hope you received something and you learned something. I hope this is setting you free. And uh, it's in being set free in these ways that you can get to the place where you become more than conquerors. Overcomers, as the Apostle John is going to bring out in this life. Amen?
Amen. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, we thank you today for your word. We thank you, Father, for all the wisdom, the revelation, and all the insight that we are receiving. I thank you, Father, for people that are not just hearers, but doers of this word. Because it is in our doing that we are blessed. And I just pray right now, Father, for anybody that is here, that the enemy has kept imprisoned by lying to them and saying that there is no way that God can forgive you of these things. I thank you, Lord, that right now that they are set free, that they receive from you the freedom that they need so that they can begin to believe for the impossible. There is nothing getting in the way in their heart to stop them from moving mountains out of their life and bringing blessing into their lives. Hallelujah. And I thank you, Father, that whatever the enemy's hold has been on them is lost and broken and destroyed today. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Amen.